there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. So, hello, welcome to the 1% Better Podcast with me, Rob O'Donoghue. This is a milestone episode, it's number 10. I've got into double figures, which I am absolutely proud about, so hopefully it's a good one. Since the last episode with Pat Lucy, I've got a lot of very positive feedback. It seems like it was one that hit home with a lot of listeners, and that's great. Um, A lot of people can relate to Pat's story. As we're 10 episodes in, I would love to hear feedback from listeners to see what you might have applied from one or more of the guest stories so far. Uh, Have there been anything you've started to do or even stopped doing or potentially did more of as a result of one of the shows examples like the meditation giving up facebook or whatever uh, it'd be great to hear feedback on how that has uh, positively impacted you and and uh, your your day-to-day activities so look forward to hearing that in this episode, uh, again, I have Pat Lucy to thank for making connection. So I promise the last time I'll be plugging Pat Lucy for a while, but thank you. He introduced me to a lady called Maria Kidney. So Maria Kidney is the director and co-founder of Brighter Communities Worldwide, which was formerly called Friends of Lundiani. So this episode focuses on the charity that she set up in 2002 in Kenya. Uh, the interesting story behind that was Maria was first travelled to Kenya in 2000 to climb mountains with a group of friends, and unfortunately, she was mugged in an incident in Nairobi. Um, she sought refuge with the uh, Kenya Girl Guides Association. This turned out to be an absolutely inspirational experience for her and one that she realized from there that she wanted to give something back to the community in Kenya, and that led to setting up the uh, charity, Friends of Lundiani. So in this show, we go into lots of detail on Maria's story, uh, growing up originally from Cove, went to college, worked in IT originally, did a lot of traveling, and there was lots of really interesting takeaways along the way that led her to that incident, and that really changed the direction and course of her life And in the 15 years or so since then, she has set up the charity. It evolved and grew massively to the point where now she has replicated the the model and is looking to pilot it and roll it out in other countries in Africa, which she's actually currently doing in Uganda. So I really don't want to go into much more detail. Hopefully that has whetted your appetite about the upcoming show. It's a really good an interesting story that I'm sure you'll take lots from. I know I did, and I know I say that for every show, but it's absolutely true. Um, So leave it there. Enjoy the show. Again, love to hear feedback, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care. Hi there, folks. Welcome back to another edition of the 1% Better podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Maria Kidney. Welcome, Maria. Thank you very much, Rob. So Maria, maybe just give yourself an introduction. Okay, uh, well, my name is Maria. Um, I am originally from Cove in County Cork. Um, I now live in Kenya in a place called Landiani. And I ended up in Landiani through my work with an organisation called Brighter Communities Worldwide, originally called Friends of Landiani, which we set up in 2002. And gradually over that time, I suppose I spent different amounts of time in Kenya and now I'm resident there. 
So that's great context. And I know there's a very interesting story. Interesting maybe is a loosely used word on how, how it all started. But maybe we'll take a trip down memory lane, I suppose, first, because I guess when you were growing up uh, in Cove, was setting up a charity top of your list? I, I Probably not. Um, to be honest, no, but I guess in school, um, I always had an interest in going overseas, in travel. Um, like I still have great memories of civics class, it was called then, when um, we'd write away to the large, particularly the missionary organizations, okay. getting maps of the world. And, you know, I suppose going overseas was always in the back of my mind, but I never thought I'd be setting up a charity myself. Sure. So during your, your school years, uh, anything kind of stand out from a, a career perspective that you were looking to, to do when you were? Um, I guess, I mean, I had a very happy uh, school period, I guess. Um, you know, I went to the Clostermira and Cove Secondary School and there, I mean, I... I have lifelong friends from there. Um, I was very interested in sports, played basketball pretty much every day and hockey. Um, I was lucky the transition year had just started mm-hmm. when I was in school. And so that gave us a chance to explore different things. As regards career, um, being quite honest with you, um, like I did quite well in school, but when it came to deciding, um, <laughs> not really, no, um, like I did well, but when it came to deciding career wise, really, does anybody, anyone know when they're 17, 18, what they want to do? Mm. So there was a bit of a debate among my teachers whether I should be an engineer or a doctor. And in the end, I went to UCC to study commerce. That was my first degree. Did I know what a commerce degree would get me or anything like that? Probably not, being honest. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think you're probably the 11th interview I've done. And maybe one or two of the people so far kind of had a clear idea of what they wanted to do when when they were growing up. It's, yeah. it's, it's so rare like that, and, and me included, that I hadn't really that great sense. When you were growing up, did you have major influences or people trying to guide you in the in a certain direction? Your parents or class? Yeah, I mean, my parents had a huge influence on my life. Um, and, you know, we were blessed. I'm from a family of seven. We were encouraged to be you know, in everything and anything. And um, we were all in the guides, the scouts, the athletic club. And and really, we weren't put under pressure in school or anything like that. I mean, our expectation was that you would do your best. It wasn't that you would become the top consultant um, in Ireland or anything like that. Um, my dad was very much a community man. He was a counsellor in Cove. He was a scout leader. He always was doing things for others. And I guess that wore off on us, as was my mam. Um, she was involved in Valmore Cove Athletic Club for 30 odd years. Mm. Um, in fact, she'd be closely associated with Sonia Sullivan. That's our claim to fame. Okay, um, and she you was also. Absolutely, yeah. Um, she was also very involved in the Cove Youth Services and would have been responsible for the Chill on the Hill Youth Centre in Cove. So I guess, you know, when you come from a family where parents are like that then mm. it does rub off on you also um i had some amazing teachers in in claustromira and one that springs to mind is charles terry um he would have been in charge of the transition year when we did it mm. and of course in transition year you do like i don't know is it 16 or 18 subjects yeah. all things you've never done like woodwork like tech drawing um and he was very influential and i did the goshka president's award under his guidance and it definitely had a huge impact on me. Also, I guess I had some very good guide leaders in Cove and around the country. And 
people who've really influenced me through their leadership skills to how mm. they encourage people to be the best they can be, I guess. Um, so yeah, so the quite a lot of influence. Is, is very interesting. It's the first time we've talked a little bit about it on any of these shows, but I think I finished my leaving cert or went into leaving cert a year after the transition year came out. Okay. Showing my age, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, well, it, where, where I'm from, Longford, it, it only came down. It might have been in other places earlier. But as you said, you learn so much different, different things that you wouldn't be exposed to. Was there any kind of key things that you might have took out of transition there? You mentioned maybe leadership or other yeah. things that you feel that were ingrained in you as a result that you brought into your career later? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think the first thing is that a belief in yourself. Um, you know, when traditionally in school, the girls did home economics, the boys did science. I mean, we were very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here we were in transition year doing woodwork. We all made furniture, technical drawing. And in fact, I nearly took technical drawing for my leaving cert as a result. Right. Um, different languages. And there was a great camaraderie among us. There was 25 of us in the class, 25 or 26 now. And, you know, it was that belief in yourself and that, you know, you could do anything that you wanted to do, mm. um, which I hadn't got beforehand, I don't think. As I said, Charles Terry was a huge influence, um, the way he led the group. And it was new for, for everyone. It was the first time in Cove. It was the first time in our school. So they were finding their way as well when you, when you look back on it. Mm. We did a lot of team sports. Um, um, so, like, we would have done adventure weekends. And, again, it's confidence building, isn't Absolutely, it? Yeah. And we also did some fundraising for charity. And we had to make these St. Bridget's Crosses, many, many of them, <laughs> um, selling them for a charity, um, which is good training, I suppose. It's good learning. Um, yeah. And it was hard work because it was the winter time when we were making these in the cold out in the marsh in Cuscany and um and I think as well we set up a mini company in the transition year. Mm. So it's like a mini business. Now of course we picked gardening and the season just wasn't the best for yes. gardening. But you know, it was that kind of our first crops failed, then we started growing bean sprouts in our hot presses and right, right, you know, like I suppose when you look back on it, it is the kind of you know perseverance well, and like yeah, and it is the innovation and the the learning of like how a business operates you know whether you're in business or in charity you still need to know the basics you know so yeah I would say the transition year was a turning point and I would I would imagine that most people in that class would agree you know yeah 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 no that's that's really good one other person springs to mind when they were going through transition I think they set up their own business of selling turkeys around Christmas time and (laughs) made a fortune, I think. So great, great inventiveness. So it sounds like you had a good time in secondary school anyway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very positive. You weren't a mess or a troublesome. I mean, like the only thing I really got into trouble for was laughing and talking too much or messing, but like not, yeah, not, not very bad you know what I mean okay. so yeah so, just definitely too much laughing that's you know? a positive positive takeaway uh, so then you went to UCC to do commerce I went to UCC to do commerce yeah now the tone of your voice seems to change there what happened there <laughs> I know I mean I mean to go I, I loved my years in college and in fairness the, the people I met on day one are still some of my best friends right. but I suppose it was daunting the first couple of months 
you know, I was the only one from my class who was there. Okay. My buddy from home, Claire, she did arts. So the two of us used to go up on the train together. And it was a big move, you know, mm-hmm. to go from Cove up to the city. Yeah. Um, you know, I loved the life that it gave us, the freedom, you know, um, went out to the States on the J1. Okay. And um, I got a job in the city in a department store. And so I was kind of self-sufficient right. financially. Were you, you, know. were you traveling up and down or were you staying up there? Um, no, I traveled up and down, okay. but I used to stay a lot. Like once okay. you find friends, you know, absolutely, stuff. yeah, yeah. So, and was commerce, you know, as a degree, was there a lot of things that you took out of that that helped further down the road as well? Um, w- without a doubt. I mean, for a start, I suppose I specialized in um, MIS, which is in the IT sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first job was in IT afterwards, right. and. I suppose then I went on to do management accounting. So I'm a qualified management accountant. And it's really, it's the strategic side of that that has helped the organization now as well. Um, the strategic thinking, the planning, the management. When I was in college, could I see this? Not a chance. I mean, you know, sure, yeah, you yeah. just went along with it, I guess, in lots of ways. You know, I still was interested in traveling when I was there. Um, and, you know, I, I, I suppose I never considered myself an entrepreneur when I was doing commerce but when you look back now and see what has happened since mm. then obviously it had an impact course, you know what I mean yeah, yeah and I, I mean I was in the mountaineering club in UCC and I was in the scout and guide club and you know so the social life was fantastic mm. you know you mentioned the J1 so I'm hoping people outside of Ireland are listening to these podcasts <laughs> they may not know what uh, a J1 is and I know it's like a during your summer break through university, there's an opportunity for our students to go over and work legally in the US. Yes. Uh, legally, I kind of say that very yeah. clearly. Um, where did you go on those? Um, Is there any, anything you remember from, from oh, those yeah. experiences yeah. that you learned that, that helped you in later life? Well, we went to Rehoboth, which is on the East Coast, oh, yeah. Delamere. So we spent some time in New York and then up to Delamere. Um, it was just a pantomime from start to finish. Um, we worked three jobs. And party the rest of the time, basically. Was there anything I learned? What can, um, you, what can people take away 1%, make them 1% better from, uh, from this? Um, We're hard work, I guess, is one thing. Well, in America, I mean, the one thing I learned is how hard people work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I had no idea that, you know, you'd be working from... You know, we were chambermaids, myself and my buddy. Two of us, three of us went together from college. And so you're up at dawn into the motel, um, working all day and it's hard work. And then in the evenings we had kind of two jobs. One was in an ice cream parlor and the other was washing dishes. So it's all manual, you know? So definitely hard work and, you know, there's nothing for nothing. For me, it gave me an outlook on a different country and different attitudes. Um, you know, the Americans think differently to us. I mean, some were similar to the Irish, some weren't. I suppose it was an eye-opener from that point of view, you know. But it was the freedom, you know. I remember landing in New York and I had the rucksack as big now as my house, you know. Because mm. I'm sure my mother thought there was no shops in America. Yeah, yeah. had you jumpers <laughs> and, uh, and Oh, sure, everything. And thinking, oh my God, here we are in New York, you know. How am I going to carry this bag? And, and coming back then, we went over to California on holidays to an okay. uncle of mine. And coming back, you're just a different person. You know, I suppose you've managed to survive. Like, it was a big thing at the time. We wouldn't have been an extremely wealthy family. So I had to take £800 loan out, which was a big amount of money then. And I remember my poor father had to sign for the loan. And you could see the look on his face going, this woman has no intention of bringing this back, you know. And to come back with the loan and with money for college, Mm. as well as have a great time on a holiday. I mean, really, it was a win-win, wasn't it, you know. 
and you've um, learned a lot I guess that you didn't at the time sometimes you're learning stuff you don't realise it until further down the road absolutely that? absolutely was it university or college that life changing experience for you that some people say it is or, or do you think it was uh, I think in in one way it was in another way I always look at my first time in UCC because I went back twice more okay. my first time in UCC was definitely a stepping stone mm. so from UCC my first job was in an IT company in Dublin and it was a software house that to me was the life learning okay. was going to Dublin on my own because you see I didn't live away from home in UCC yeah, so it's yeah. slightly different but then here you are in Dublin you have to manage everything your bills everything yeah, yeah. Um, so that was very different you know mm. um, what, what age were you when you went to Dublin for that first job? Uh, I graduated in 93, so I'd have been 23, okay. 22, yeah. Okay. So how long were you in Dublin for that time? Oh Did my goodness, um, I was there for three years anyway, and then I went off to Australia. Um, okay. But I, we loved Dublin, I mean, we had a great house, always full of people. Life was so exciting, compared to what it was beforehand. I guess, you know, every night there was something on, whether it was cinema, whether it was sports, we set up a basketball team, then the gang of us in our house and another house that we became friends with and then other people joined, you know, just socially. Um, But going in, like every weekend down to the Wicklow Mountains, up to the Moorns, it was non-stop. All on public transport, none of us had cars or anything, you know what I mean? But yeah, Dublin was great. Um, Those three years, it would have been, yeah, 92, I think 96 I went to, yeah, September 96, me and... A uh, friend of mine, we went off to um, India, Nepal, Australia, New Zealand for a year and a half, traveling and working. Or <laughs> before you move on from the first, your first kind of job out of college, software house. Anything you would think back on what you might have taken from that, or challenges you faced in there, the real world, I suppose, for the first time. Yeah, it was very challenging. In fact, we were working for um, a, a huge organization at the time out in Kulak called Gateway 2000. Okay. We were developing their order entry system. It was a transition time software-wise from, I think, OS 2 into Windows. Um, it was long, long hours. I mean, there was nothing for nothing, you know. Like, you know, when, when push came to shove, I suppose the reality check is when you have a deadline, you have a deadline. Mm. In college, when you had a deadline, era, you always got an extra few days. But in the real world, no way. And mm. saying that, you know, you there was no such thing as you couldn't do it. You just had to work together. I was lucky. We had a brilliant team. It was um, a group of us all who finished college at the same time so we were all kind of in the same boat okay. yeah it was very aggressive parts of it you begin to reevaluate and think do I want to be in a job that works 20 hours a day I mean it got mental um, especially around delivery time and yeah. you have to balance it out and for me there was one trip we organised to go to Wales, a gang of us and it was a big thing going away, climbing you know at the time it was um I think the yellow pack seats, you know, there was mm. when you shopped in Quinsworth, you got points. Yeah, or, well, it's yeah. points now, but it was yeah. stickers. Right, right. <laughs> and um, because we hadn't delivered what we said we'd deliver, uh, I had to stay at home. And right. I remember thinking, this is not what I want to do with my life. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. But from a learning point of view, I guess, you know, the working world is harsh and there's, there is nothing for nothing. Yeah. And you're not going to get to the next level without hard work in all its guises. You know what I mean? Um, I know yeah. we read about this stuff, but if you think back on it, uh, yeah, it was tough. Like it was yeah, a tough yeah. environment. Are you getting a better picture of your future potential? Yeah. Well, I, I just had the travel bug then, you know, yeah. I wanted to go and see the world and I just felt if I kept working to this level, yes, there was excellent, I suppose, career prospects in the true sense of the word, but, mm. 
you know, you turn around then when you're 30 and you look back and think, what have I done, you know? Mm. Um, and this was in the back of my mind and I really wanted to see other countries and yeah. see what they were like and try something different. And mm. yeah, I packed it in in 96 and headed off with the rucksack again. The same rucksack? <laughs> <laughs> Probably was, actually. <laughs> so that sounded like in the one sentence you said there, you mentioned Nepal and Australia, New Zealand, India, I think. Talk to me a little bit about things you that stick out from that, that maybe improved you maybe as a person, you know, as you kind of experience some of that. Yeah, I guess it's seeing how the other half live, isn't it? Um, like Nepal, like we saw a lot of poverty. It was before now earthquakes or the war in Nepal. So it was quite secure, but the people in the mountains, I mean, they, they really, it's basic living, beautiful, welcoming people, but tough work. And, and, and my friend got quite sick when we were there. So we had a bit of an emergency. But um, again, you call on all your skills, don't you? You know, like, yes, we were there to climb a mountain. Um, Not Everest, no. No, no, no. <laughs> couldn't afford Everest. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we went to the base camp and Kalapatar and that region. And it was phenomenal. And again, we w- walked in like now when you go to Nepal, most people fly into the start of it. Mm. Um, we walked in 16 days before we ever got to the, wow. the real mountains. And that was fantastic. Just meeting the people, chatting. I suppose you're kind of seeing the wonder of the world, really, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. You know, and yeah, life was very good. Mm. You know, we had a, a, a kind of mad experience. Then we decided one day we'd go to India. Um, we had no tickets, so we said we'd get the train, you know. And um, so... Like your way onto the train or...? Well, well, we might as well have, really, because we went into this little house in, in Nepal, in Tamil. It's the place where all the tourists go to buy our tickets. And there was a man inside, and so we paid. We wanted first-class tickets because we had heard all these bad things about the trains. Right. And I don't know, was it like $50 or something? Yeah. It wasn't major money now, but... Um, you know, when you're traveling, you've no money, really. So we got two tickets anyway, and he said, you'll get a bus to the border, and then you must go into another house to get your ticket, you see. And so we were like, hmm, really? And then he said, just tell them Golden Tooth sent you, you know. So when he smiled, sure enough, he had a Golden Tooth, you know. So we were a bit kind of, hmm, well, we have to go with this now. So we went to the local bakery, and uh, we bought 20 bread rolls. My friend was addicted to Nutella, so we found a jar of something like Nutella, and we headed off on this bus. It was horrendous from start to finish. The bus journey was bad enough, but then we got to the border. Of course, there was no house with a ticket. So we got these basic tickets while we watched other guys selling our tickets out the window, you know. And you can do nothing about it, you know. So we ended up in this place called Garakpur, which is in northern India. And, uh, yeah, if you ever end up there, just leave. Garakpur. Garakpur. And... uh, so, oh, the hotel was minging and there was people just lying all over the street. It was really poor. Wow. It was dark and yeah, we were scared. It was two women, you know. Of course. And so we went to the hotel and we were told they'd have our train tickets. And of course, oh no, no, the train is late, you know. Mm. And then we were like in the horrors because this place was a dive completely. Mm. So we went up to the room and um, <laughs> this guy knocked on the door about two hours later. And he said, oh, for $30, you can get a ticket tomorrow. You know, because my friend with me absolutely nearly had a workout. We were lucky when we traveled. We both didn't lose it at the one time ever. Okay, it was good. always a turn, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, she said, told your man, get out, you know. And I was like, we could spend another 24 hours in this dive. Yeah. So we paid the 30 bucks. And this guy came at five in the morning to bring us to the train. So we went into the train and it turned out 
that our name was on a ticket anyway. We just didn't know the system. Oh, God. So when you go to the platform, all the names are listed and there was our two names. So it was booked. Your man was just making a fast book. Right. So we took the 24-hour journey to southern India to Mumbai. Mm. Uh, actually, it was to Pune, which is near Mumbai. Yeah. But it took 49 hours. Wow. It was delayed, yeah. So <laughs> we were glad at the bread rolls and the yeah. Nutella, but it was one of those like, oh my god, are we ever going to get out of this alive moments, you know? Yeah. But um, it was brilliant looking back in it. But I wouldn't be taking a train ride again. Okay, I have so to be learned, honest. You learned patience along that road. <laughs> oh, patience! Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. There was many learnings. <laughs> so it sounded like up to that stage, you've had a good life experiences. You're figuring things out before maybe we talk about your first trip to Kenya what what anything else that happened in between that you remember as good lessons learned well I guess while I w- we were in Australia I worked developing photographs for a while with Kodak and um, I didn't want to work in IT so that kind of gave me a hint that I didn't really want to work in IT at all you know mm-hmm. what I mean I'd learned it I was kind of bored with it right um, no disrespect <laughs> no, <laughs> no but you know there was obviously something yeah, yeah, yeah. so I went developing photographs which allowed me to travel again yeah. um yeah, yeah. And when I came home, when you're looking at these pictures. You probably saw people on holidays, and it was just making you want to travel even absolutely, more. Absolutely, you know. Well, I mean, we used to work for a couple of weeks, then travel, then work, and right. they were very flexible with us. So yeah, we were blessed, like, really, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, a great job. But I did come back to my same work in Dublin. In Dublin, okay. Uh, my boss rang me actually in Sydney, and at the time it would have been around. I suppose 99, was it? Um, Y2K stuff. Yeah, so, you know. It was called Gateway 2000. um, Yeah, well, that was the company we worked for. The uh, the software house was JBA. But yeah, so they offered me my job back. And sure, you know, it was as easy to do that as anything. But I just knew that it was uh, going to be temporary. I knew that, you know, obviously I needed the money and all the rest of it. But actually, my heart was in Australia then. Like, I had applied for residency to go. And... Yeah, I just wanted to do something different. I suppose I still hadn't figured out quite what it was. But like here I was now, I had my IT experience. And in fairness, it's a skill that you'll always have, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I know technology changes, but the log- the logics are the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? That sense of wanderlust or whatever was just in you. You could feel oh, it. Oh, yeah, it was you a were, complete wanderer. Were you fighting yeah. it hardly? Just no, same. I don't think yeah. so. I mean, I knew... Uh, you know, I, I'm sure my parents worried. In fact, I know my dad that the second time I gave up my job, but, uh, you know, he was like, are you sure, you know, you're giving up the job now and they're mm. after taking you back? And I'm like, well, there'll be other jobs. And at the time, I suppose, if you think of the Y2K time and around then, there was loads of jobs in Ireland. Yeah. I mean, we probably were getting a bit above ourselves in lots of ways, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 um, sure. yeah, so I did that until I went to Australia back in 2000. Mm. Um, and did you, so you played for residency. Did you go back? Yeah, I got the residency around the end of 99, start of 2000. This is when kind of it overlaps with Kenya because okay. we were, my brother was getting married in the States. And I still remember going in to use it in Dublin, trying to figure out how I could get to the wedding, get to the Sydney Olympics and still go to Australia on the one ticket. You know, I couldn't. Right, right, right. And of course, I wanted to go to Kenya because okay. there was a group of us who we pretty much climbed in many countries together. Right. Um, and we had planned to go to do Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. Okay. 
in 2000. So 2000 was a definitely a, a big, big year. year. So the Olympics, US, Kenya. Yeah, like Kenya and the Olympics were fine because the Olympics were going to be the end point, you know. Okay. But then my brother announced his wedding in Martha's Vineyard in the States. So I was really upset. I mean, I was delighted he was getting married. Yeah. But I, I remember going into use it and your woman looking at me going, no, no, you can't get the one ticket. Right, right, and I was literally in tears because, you know, you wouldn't have a whole pile of money, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we made it work. And okay. uh, so I went to Mount Kenya, did Mount Kenya, did Kilimanjaro and was back in Nairobi then afterwards. I'd given up my job. So I had about seven weeks in Africa that time. Okay. Um, oh, you were there with... There was 14 of us all together. Now, it varied over the time. But at the end, there was just a couple of us left. Like, people were coming and going. And um, then I went out one day to buy my friend a birthday present. Ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time and was mugged oh. in Nairobi, yeah. So talk about, um, like, what, did you see this coming? Does it not at all. Day or night? Or? It was the middle of the day. There was three of us. We crossed the road. There's a place in Nairobi called River Road. If you ever end up there, run. Okay. Everybody says this Two afterwards, you told you know? me to get out of this. <laughs> yeah, get yeah, it, yeah. So. so we were crossing traffic lights and, of course, we stopped. Nobody stops at traffic lights in, in Kenya, really. And um, these kids came and went for... Uh, we had earrings and went for our earrings and our wallets. I was just in shorts. and It was quite obvious my shorts. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, of course, I was carrying my Lonely Planet equivalent. And, um, <laughs> you know, which is a dead giveaway, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they did get our earrings. and They didn't get my wallet because I gave one of them a belt with the book. But I think, yeah. for me, the scariest part of the whole thing, nobody stopped. Not one single person stopped. This is an everyday occurrence. Broad daylight, like, in broad yeah. daylight. So we ended up, we ran across the road and ended up in River Road, which we didn't know was River Road at the time. Right. And there's a lot of gangs hang out in River Road. Mm. So we were walking up the road going, holy sweet God, like where are we going to end up? Mm. And we went up the road and it, like we were very exposed and the three of us were quite shook. So we stopped at a shop and I'll never forget it. The man sold washing machines. We just went in the door and he looked at us and he said, you don't look like you want to buy a washing machine. <laughs> I said, no, can we just, like I had my watch on, I had the wallet exposed. So we just wanted to put everything like into our... Passports taken or anything like that? No, no. So we wa- we had them on us though. So okay, we wanted okay. to put them all into our safety belts, which we should have done in the first place. Sure. And he gave us a cup of tea and it was really nice. Okay. And like, I suppose there's a lesson there, isn't it? In the midst of all adversity, there is... There is good people. And in fact, I talked to somebody the other night who said to me, you know, there's good in everyone. Sometimes they just need the opportunity to be good. Yeah. And it's true, you know. So we went from there back to our friends. And I I mean, I was quite shook. I'm fine always in an incident, but afterwards. So, of course, there was only going to be two of us left for about six or seven days. And like, there's no way I'd go home early, you know, missing defeat. I rang the guides, the girl guides in Kenya. Because I'm a guide here and kind of said, you know, could we come and visit? And then I, when I got there, I asked them, did they know a safe place to stay? Hoping they'd say right here with us, which they did. And so we stayed there for a week to three of us initially and then two. And while we were there, just met lots of people and they brought us around Nairobi safely, you know, kind of renewed our faith. Yeah. And met these people who were working all over Kenya and just was completely inspired. 
And that was it. I knew we were going back. And you knew at like so at that point that was the the game changer for you. Oh, completely. Yeah. Did you straight away then think I want to set up a charity or what? Did what was no no. Um, I suppose what was for me. I remember getting on the plane and uh, you know I've often reflected back on that moment and I remember landing home and uh, saying my dad and my granny, my mum and myself went for dinner in Cove and. I remember telling them about the trip and I said, I'm going back. I just know this is where I'm supposed to be. And my dad and my granny were so excited because my dad used to be in the Merchant Navy. And so there was a bit of a wanderer in him. And my granny, like, yeah, yeah, my granny would have been to New York before anyone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she was, she died when she was 92. So like she was quite advanced when you think about it Mm. now. And they were like so excited about oh. like I showed them some photos and you know I, I took a lot of slides you know there was no digital if you yeah, think yeah. about it you know so I had a slideshow at home and right. I knew there was something that I was going to go back and your mum like it's just interesting I suppose if you, sometimes you might have thought the opposite if, if somebody came back from traveling and said they want to go back and the, the parents might be more like worried or concerned that it would be a crazy thing to do but but it sounds like as you said your mum and or your grandmother and, and your father My had dad. that yeah that it, similar traits so that was really supportive oh yeah and and my mom as well in fairness they never stopped me I mean Mm -hmm. I know they missed us when we were away and everything but like there was never there was never a question that you know they were going to create a big fuss sure sure you know, then I suppose we had all planned to go to the the wedding mm-hmm. and on to Sydney. My, like I told you, my mum had a close association with Sonia Sullivan. Yeah. And so we were going for Sonia's race, like the whole yeah, lot yeah. of us. So again, a gang of us were going. My dad wasn't going to the Olympics. Um, He wasn't that well at the time. Um, So yeah, so in between, um, you know, America, I mean, the, the trip to Africa and then planning to go to Sydney, I wrote a proposal to the Irish Girl Guides about a trip. And I also wrote to different people I'd met in Kenya or in, yeah, in Kenya about the projects and said, look, if a group of us were to go out, what could we do? It costs a lot of money to go to these places. You don't want to be the token person. You want to actually do something useful. Um, and so many of them had written back. And anyway, I headed off to Sydney to the Olympics and then. It was agreed that we would have some sort of guide project. We didn't really know what it would look like mm. um, or how it would work or anything like that. Unfortunately, in November 2000, my dad got very sick. And so I came home okay. and he passed away the following March. And that was like, that was very significant. Okay. And I suppose when I came home between then and when he died, I didn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I started working in Musgrave actually at the end of January simply because my dad wanted things to be normal but I had a lot of time with him and I always remember saying to him what am I going to do about Kenya dad you know what am I going to do because we knew our life was just going to change forever now Um, and I said I don't know if I should put it off or and he just said you need something positive to focus on and that was it cool yeah, it was good yeah. advice. Yeah, that's and, and what you believed anyway, and you wanted to hear it, and that was great. To hear well, it, that's but, it, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, yeah. like sometimes you just need someone else to reinforce it, isn't it? You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. So then, in two thousand, like my dad um, passed away in two thousand and one, and I went back to Kenya on my own. Right. Um, to find uh, in the between, lots of information had come in from different projects, but a woman in Londiani wrote to me and said, "We're very welcome. Here's a list of jobs." Okay. So it looked very positive. And so 
we went, um, I went out on my own. <laughs> I also remember landing in Nairobi thinking, oh, here, what have I done? So I landed and two women from the Girl Guides met me. And then we got a bus up to Londiana. And is it a bit of a trek, is Londiana? Oh, it's outside. like, it, it's only 220 kilometers, but it can take you at the time, like six hours. Right, um, right. you know, and even today with the traffic, it takes long, even yeah, though the road has improved. Okay. And I guess that's it. The rest is history, isn't it? You know, we landed there. I just knew there was something about it. There was a woman who set up the children's home that we went to work with. She's American. She was in her eighties when I met her. Amazing. Like just her story was amazing. The way she managed things. And unfortunately she died before the project started. Right. But you know, like she definitely left her legacy there, you know. Okay. And so in 2002, 20 of us went out, um, working in Londiani. And then that, that was it. Yeah. Like we came home and we wanted to do, to keep going back. Mm. And so we set up an official organization then in Ireland, okay. um, called Friends of Londiani, which was renamed this year. Okay. So yeah. But that, that still is, I guess that's still the, the, the base place over there. Really? Yeah. Our office is still in Londiani. I suppose when we started, we just had one or two projects. Now we have a range of programs, um, covering many, Sub counties, um, and we've just began a pilot project in Uganda. So right. our name was restricting us in lots of ways. Mm. Um, you know, people would say, Oh, friends of Londiani, and they'd assume you just worked in one area. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it, you know, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. But I guess brighter communities, everyone has a concept what brighter is. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to explain that. It's a positive connotation. Exactly. Like yeah. So, a mystic one anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, you know, every community has their own definition of brighter and so their own path for development. It's not dictated to from the outside. Okay. Excellent. Maybe a few questions around setting up the charity, challenges that you faced early on, during, continue to do so. How you, I guess, what skills you use to overcome those apart from hard work and just determination? Maybe um, anything come into mind? Yeah, I think, um, I think you just have to be open. You have to be open and to listen. Like I said to you earlier, we always met people who gave advice or put, pointed us in a direction. Mm. So for example, um, myself and my husband went on honeymoon to Kenya okay. and Martin had never been before that because he missed the climbing trip due to a car accident. Right. And we met, um, a guy called Gavin Bate, who's a famous, um, mountaineer. He would have summited Everest n- numerous times now, uh-huh. but he organized our safari and we became good friends with him. I always remember him, you know, his first piece of advice was when you're working in a community, ensure that you understand the structure of the community and, mm. you know, the elders and everything, right? Sure. It, it has never left. And that's how we work. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Other people, like they would, give you advice on whether it's the technical advice on health or water or education. Um, but it's about being open to it. This organization always had a vision, right, to help others, you know, become the authors of their own development. So it was never going to be, this is how you do it. Yeah, and yeah. so nobody ever professed uh, to be the expert. It was more... We kind of see ourselves as a catalyst, you know, we kickstart development. Um, facilitating it all. And well. it's a facilitation, yeah. you know. And I suppose the other huge learning for me, and, and I also work now professionally in development, so like because um, Bright Communities is my volunteer life. Yeah. But the other thing is don't ever underestimate the power 
of bringing people together. Mm-hmm. So whether they're sitting around learning about HIV AIDS, learning about maternal health, learning about water projects, the fact that they're together, figuring out their own development and sharing with each other, opening them up. I mean, it's phenomenal. I, I was in Uganda in January working with another organization and it was one thing that the, the poorest people said they'd never worked in a group before. Mm. So if you work in a group, you suddenly realize your commonalities, don't you? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. my challenge in my uh, homestead of not having enough water is similar to yours. Maybe we can do something together. Yeah. Or you know what? We're all struggling for school fees or we're all struggling. We don't understand why our mm. babies are dying. And I think the power of working together mm. and... That to me is the greatest learning, whether it's working with the communities, whether it's volunteers coming from Ireland or overseas. I mean, we've had over 500 volunteers from about 17 countries now come to Londiana, different skills, different experiences. But it's it's not, you know, a person coming to tell somebody something. It's a a person coming to learn together. Sure. And that's the difference. You know what I mean? I think as well, there are challenges. I mean, when you're dealing with bureaucracy, you know, getting funding is a challenge, mm. but you have to have faith in people. And I, I guess I have a blind faith. I mean, you know, in lots of ways, people will always come right. If yeah. you, if you set the right environment, uh, empowerment happens. Like, I don't believe that I've empowered anybody. I believe that the organization has created an environment in which people are empowered, which is slightly different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's creating an openness. And, you know, so every year we would meet all the communities we work with. Work with. In fact, just in January now, we had 83 communities come in, representatives. And so they feed back on their year, like how they got on with the projects, challenges they have, and they tell you what they mm. are aiming for the next year. And they'll also say, listen, we want you to, you know, that part you did isn't so good. We want this instead. Mm. And it's that open. Yeah. And then once you have openness, then mm. surely that's better than, oh, you know, yeah. no, closed doors, you know. Do you find, just interested, I guess, in one, a couple of things. One, when you mentioned the elders, how, how do they get involved or how does that work? Or is that kind of, a, is there a process around getting them on board? Yeah, or? so so in Kenya, every community has its own structure. Mm. And so you will have the government structure, which is a chief and an assistant chief. And then you have the tribal structure, which is the elders. Right. So the elders now, I mean, we think of elders as maybe people in their 70s and 80s. Sometimes yeah, they yeah. can be in their 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're appointed. It's a title they get. It's a title that somebody is earns like i mean we have a staff member now and he'd be probably 45 and he's an elder so they would be called in to the communities if there's an issue um or if there's a concern the elders meet and come up with decisions it's almost like local policing i guess um so if you have an idea for a project or say an element of your community wanted a water project well then you'd say, right, great, we'll work with you. But you need to go to the chief and the elders and sit with them and say, look, this community, which is in your community, this village has come and and asked us for this. What do you think? Because the elders are, they're the leaders, you know, they're the influencers. We're very lucky. Um, Many of them are on, well, all of the ones that we've met with, they come in once a year as well. We have discussions. It's very open. But you'd be very naive to disrespect the structures that are there. I mean, it's the same way as the government. Um, We would have 
a very strong health program, but we work with the government. Because if we were to implement our own program, uh, you know, our own health system, what happens when yeah, we're no longer yeah, yeah. there? That's yeah. not sustainable. And and to be fair to the Kenyan government, their health strategy is excellent. It's just the resourcing of it is the challenge, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like they have very good concepts. And yeah, d- definitely anyone who wants to work in development has to work with the government, with partners. Like the days of going in and setting up your own thing and doing it your way without listening, I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure, really. Mm. And when you said then bringing everybody in, you know, getting everybody together, there's that kind of synergy of if you two plus two equals five, right? Oh, absolutely. Do you find, do you need to give the group a target, a goal to work towards so that they're going in that the right direction? Do they, do they come up that, with that themselves in the group? Okay, so so how it works is, like, say we have a maternal health program. Mm. So we would set out objectives for 12 months, 24 months, yeah. 36 months. So most of it is around reducing maternal mortality, uh, getting more women to deliver in the hospitals, getting more women to avail of the services, antenatal care, things like that. Mm. But those needs weren't um brighter community needs they came from the communities themselves right. so we have a program called life skills and it's it's usually the first program we do in a community it started out being a hiv aids education program but now it includes nutrition alcoholism drugs relationships so it's the first time many communities come together and share and if you spend five days in a course with your community members discussing serious issues then suddenly you're much more open you've shared maybe you're vulnerable as well but yeah. you're all vulnerable and sharing yeah, together yeah, yeah. and usually what happens is then they say what's the priority for sure. our community okay. um so every community have different priorities and part of the reason we bring them in representatives is to try and see what are our top three for this year what mm-hmm. are our top five mm-hmm. but they'll all like at this stage our programs are designed that every community will fit into those you know what i mean but as to do they set themselves their own targets absolutely like one community might say we want to increase the women um delivering in health facilities by 10 percent in our community and they'll work and encourage each other to do it over the year but they'll feed in then to our targets you know which is where the funding comes in you know yeah yeah, yeah, so but it's all needs are from the ground up like none of our programs were developed by a group of Irish people. Sure. They were all developed by the communities. Okay. Um, and so when we didn't know something, we brought in expert help. We kind of facilitated partnerships. Like, mm-hmm. for example, we don't have an agricultural program, but we're linked in with an agricultural college right. who then come in and work with the communities. Um, and that's how we're working in Uganda, actually. They're doing the agriculture, we're doing the health. Okay. So it works, you know. And I guess during that five-day session and have those people involved, you'll see kind of natural leaders emerge within those groups and they want to drive forward themselves. Absolutely. The All people need is the opportunity, you know. People, like, I know lots of people do leadership courses and this and that, but there's leaders in every community. They yeah. just need the opportunity. And I guess to be in a safe environment. And so we do a lot of group facilitation when, pe- when sure. groups come in and different exercises and with them. And it's about building trust, isn't it? Mm. And it's supporting, like if you're starting in a community, you will support it a lot more like hand-holding than you would a community you're working with for five or ten years. Um, in fact, there's some communities have told us to move on now that we need okay. to go to other areas. And they have become now the leaders. Like, for example, even um, our pilot project, like we brought three people 
from Londiani to northern Uganda there in January. And the lady is uh, called Esther. She's probably in her 60s. You know, one of these women with her life in her face, you know. And she'd never been to a new country, didn't have a passport, went to Uganda. And suddenly, like, her position in the community is now soaring, you know. And, you know, people were concerned as well when we changed our name. What about the people in Londiani? But they see it as an opportunity. So now they're empowered to go... And, and help others, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, a broad it's quite incredible. Yeah, 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 just to see it, you know? And yeah. that's what development is, you yeah, know? Yeah. It's not like, you know, we all have different perceptions of it, but the, it's about people working together to become the authors of their own development. Okay. So, you know, I always say to people, you know, if somebody came into my front room at home and said, you know, you need to move your fireplace over there, I don't like the color of your room. I can't yeah. be offended, you know. Yeah, it's the same yeah. difference, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's up to us to decide what we want ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's great. It's so obvious from talking or from you talking through it that it's it's very exciting for you still. What would a typical day look like, or is there such a thing as a typical day when you're out there? Is it very different? Every um, well, every day is different, to be fair. Um, and I suppose that's the beauty of it. It's the it's the variety and the flexibility. I mean, you could be writing a grant application and tearing your hair out trying to find the right words so that people give you money, yeah. or you could be out in a community discussing with women how their coffee um, is going or. How how they're going to get the coffee to the market or you might be in a school helping kids learn how to wash their hands or you know what I mean so it's it's very varied and I think that's part of the excitement you know Mm. Um, and yes there are some hard days when things don't work out or something happens but there's much more good days than bad days you know you see you're continually growing and learning yourself Oh, hugely, yeah. Like, what would be the, you know, one thing that might stick out in the last, you're, you're just back a few weeks, you were yeah. there for six months, the last yeah. stint, yeah. anything stand out from a learning perspective that you maybe didn't realise you had that within you and now it's something that you've gained confidence from during the last trip? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, yeah, and maybe not just the last trip, but I suppose the last three years, um, I've also got involved in another organization called Out of the Box, which is we do consultancy with different NGOs now. Right. And I suppose I now realize all the learnings I've gotten from my volunteer life in Londiani, mm. applying them to other organizations. And I suppose in the last six months in particular, it's the writing, it's been able to tell the story, it's been able to phrase it in, like we're, we're just finalizing our five year business plan. And that was huge learning for me, like taking all what you can see, you know, I always say to people, come and see, because once you see it, you're convinced. Okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, funders in particular, or people you want to get on board, mm-hmm. they can't all go. You can't bring them all on the bus yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so you have to be able to write to convince them in a terminology that they understand. Yeah. So you're turning Esther's story of going to Uganda into business speak. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you have to quantify it. Yeah, yeah. And I think in the last six to 12 months, I've learned a lot. Right. about how to do that and and part of it is because I now have the space to do it being in Kenya it's right, much right, right. freer you know yeah, what I mean yeah, as yeah. in you've less distractions mm. and from working with other organizations you're learning different approaches you can apply them well that's exactly what you were saying about bringing the groups together in Lundiani they're learning from each other you're learning from these other groups as well in the same absolutely sort of way, you know? yeah absolutely and it's I always say if you stop learning you're dead aren't you lifelong learning I'm definitely on board with that I think I'm con- conscious of time we're up to 50 minutes 
and there's a few kind of bullet point questions I want to just kind of get through to get some takeaways from you. I think there's so much more that we could probably go into here, but just for the, the sake of this this interview, we maybe will just go into a little bit around questions that you've could give answers to that you've learned stuff from during your career that others could take away as well, because there's a lot of good takeaways mm. for, for that already. What would, What's the work-life balance look like for you? Yeah, it's interesting, you know. Yeah. I suppose I've always been a walker. I mean, a hill walker. Um, we're actually building a trekking route in Kenya at the moment. Okay. And so when I walk every day, 8 to 10 kilometers wow. uh, in the mornings, uh, I love the sunrise and sunset. And if I don't have that time, then I'm I'm no good, mm. actually. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm very conscious of the fact that I need that space. You know, it, it is hard to switch off, especially when you're in Kenya. But we're lucky now. We've we, we've set up where we live and stuff. The office is away from our house. I mean, it's just next door, but there's yeah, a different yeah. building. So yeah, you have yeah, to yeah, yeah. leave it away. And I guess you just have to put things in perspective, you know. Mm. But for me, exercise is really important. Like I swim when I can as well. There's right. a swimming pool close by enough um, in one of the tea plantations. Mm. But the walking is key. Just your mental... Yeah space you know absolutely um because the you know it can come in around you like any job it's not just working in kenya you know and you're no good to anyone then if you're not functioning isn't it i hear you would you've had mentors along the way that provided you support or you know somebody to chat to because what you've done is massively impressive and you was there people you bounce ideas off to to learn from as well absolutely um i mean i spoke about my parents already my mm-hmm. my mom only passed away three years ago and she was a huge huge uh, mentor okay. uh, like a person i could ring every day and bounce ideas off she yeah. got it she came to kenya so right, it right. Um, she was a huge influence um, on in the organization itself. We have a very strong board and some very passionate volunteers who've been committed now since the start. Right. And some of them will be close friends of mine that I can ring and have a rant or a discovery conversation. Mm. And then there's Martin, like um, who's the CEO and... You know, together we're much better than apart. My family as well, like I particularly, you know, my family back here home, at home, um, my brothers and sisters, they would, we'd be very kind of like-minded and, uh, you know, my brother Liam and Pat have been out and Brendan as well. They've all been out at some stage. I suppose Liam is a photographer, so he's been out quite a lot. Um, you're able to have conversations with them and, Mm. you know support them leadership wise like definitely there's individuals in the guides who would be mentors like there's one lady who like she'd be in her 70s now and she has had an enormous impact on me the way she leads the way she guides discovers and you know i can email her or ring her up or whatever and i know she'll be there yeah and and there's people i've met in kenya as well some of the irish right. missionaries actually um who would be very good at giving advice and you know, you can just have a conversation with yourself almost in public, if yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, we're very lucky, really. Um, you know, I, I met this lady in Nairobi the first time I was there. She's in the guides in Kenya. And she and her husband, like, they'd be in the diplomatic corps. Like, they have been hugely supportive of us. Mm-hmm. And you can ring and say, look, I'm having a challenge. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And they're very good with advice that's it's confidential, let's say. Yeah, I think everyone needs some support. I don't think you can do it Absolutely. without, you know, finding that safe space. And I also write a lot. I, I do keep a, 
a journal, a journal. not every day, but every right. couple of days, because I find that's a good yeah. way to download and figure things out, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, I actually did a mindful course last year online, okay. a six-week course. Yeah. Um, my brother gave it to me as a present, actually, and I found it quite useful. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the stuff, in fairness, when I was in Ireland, I did a lot of spirituality through the Irish Girl Guide, so it's right. quite similar, it's you know what I mean? Uh, but I do think, you know, everyone needs to find their their mountain or whatever it is, yeah. and... For us, I mean, going to the Rift Valley at a weekend, like sitting by the lake, walking, taking photographs, whatever it is, mm. is needed, you know? And it's just disconnecting from the past. Yeah, well, you're no good to people like when you're exhausted either, yeah. you know? You're at half speed, as Very they say. True. What would your good habits and bad habits be that, that stick out, if any? I think my good habits are probably my walking and my exercise. I, I've always been a bit of an exercise freak, like... I suppose bad habits are the inclination to work too long. Yeah, I, I don't know what other bad habits. You know, sometimes I am challenged, like I'll see something. Sometimes I'm not very good at figuring out all the steps, but I just know it'll happen. You know, I I, I go yeah. with my gut. Yeah, and sometimes yeah, yeah. that can be a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> you know. You know what's going to happen. You just you just let it happen. Yeah, I think I just let it happen. I mean, I used to get frustrated, but there's things happening now. Like, for example, the Uganda pilot, you know. We only started it officially last October. We first went to that part of Uganda in 2010, and I knew then we'd be working there. Okay. Like, So it took a long time. Yeah, yeah. Now, in fairness, there was building relationships, and we're doing it in a partnering approach, getting people on board. But I knew then, I mean, the minute I saw the place, you know. Yeah, you just have to be patient, which is hard, yeah. isn't it, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I've been accused of, you know, when I say, oh, I have an idea, people run under the table. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool, though, isn't it, that you found like my idea for this podcast came up about a year ago and I'm I'm frustrated right now because I haven't launched the episode yet but it's just around the corner I think I'm getting more frustrated and getting closer to it but when you come up with an idea and put it out there I find it happens if you oh, yeah. you know if you really believe in yeah. it it sounds like that definitely is the case for you anyway so oh, absolutely and I think as well people are key you know and this organization has been created by people working together from all walks of life there's no experts yeah. as such I mean yes people give their expertise but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's finding a space where people are free to give the way they want to give you know yeah. and I think that's the magic of it and he decisions that spring into mind that were particularly difficult to make during the the journey so far difficult decisions i'm not so sure like i suppose you know in 2010 we cancelled a volunteer project that was coming from ireland mm. there was some political upheaval in kenya and uh, for safety we cancelled it that was a really tough time okay. um now people were fine they understood not everyone there's always a couple who yeah. struggled with your decision um, and i remember that that time was difficult in general but other than that I mean well, it was probably the right decision though right well, oh completely the right decision um, I mean I'd have no regrets about making it but I just remember at the time it was very painful we were in Kenya we had to call it off it was quite soon before the project it was definitely the right decision but it was difficult but any other decisions well they were probably difficult maybe at the time I suppose there's a sense of adventure in them, isn't it? I mean, you know, the decision to expand, to change the name, it was a tough decision in one way, but in another way, it was very exciting, you know? Mm. So, no, like, really, you know? <laughs> like it's Just interested about the name. Again, trying to come up with a good name for a podcast or a website and uh, did it more or less on my own. Still not sure if it's good or not, but uh, how, how, what was the process that you might have went through to, to come Oh, to change to brighter communities? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were very lucky. Um, we, um, I worked in Musgrave for 12 years, okay, and during my time there, they were hugely supportive of 
the organization, education bursaries and my time off. They have an organization who works with them on communications called CAVA Communications. Okay. And so when I was only in the door a couple of weeks when I was interviewed by them for the company magazine oh, cool. and the guy Richard, uh, who runs the organization, uh, we went for coffee afterwards and uh, became great buddies. He actually spent some time in Kenya. Wow. So they now have come on board for many years, like they made us a film, our website, social media, everything. So when we made the decision that we needed to look into the rebrand, they came on board pro bono to do it all for us. And it was phenomenal. Like, I mean, it's expensive, but also it's the experience. How do you know how to rename, you know? So we were blessed as well. One of our board members, Siobhan, um, has huge marketing background. So the process began, I suppose, October 2015. Am I right? 2016. Yeah, 2015, we had a workshop. We decided to rebrand and then we had a number of discussions. So they put together then a survey for all our volunteers, staff in Ireland and around the world and in Kenya. So people fed in things like, you know, what words come to mind when you think about Friends of Londiani, different things like that, right? So a number of words came out, community, empowerment, working together. They came out really strong, you know, Mm. equality. And then we began the process of like, okay, do you combine them all? I mean, for me, it was a a huge journey because... I'd never gone through such a process, you know. They advised us the whole way along. It took a number of months of course. Uh, back and forth. And, and when you think about it, some organizations, like say Oxfam, Oxfam was never a word till Oxfam made it a word, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it was like working through all of that. And then we came down to three, which we then bounced around the, the team again. And then it was trying to figure out which of them legally were free, both in Ireland and in Kenya. Okay. Brighter Communities Worldwide, thankfully, is free. Yeah. So we did the legal side right. with the charities regulator and the company's office and in Kenya. So the legal side is the hard part. Well, it's just bureaucracy, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a very inclusive process and we kept all the stakeholders updated as we went along and there in January well first of all before Christmas we knew the name then we announced it in Kenya and the excitement is indescribable I mean we were even blown away by the level of excitement among the staff they were so excited and we announced it at the ball we have a fundraising ball in October every year so we announced it in Ireland and people were genuinely delighted Um, and then since January in Kenya, the amount of invites we've got to different conferences, meetings, because mm. now people can see that we're larger than a place. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. the opportunities hopefully will be endless. Great launch pad, so yeah, absolutely. And everyone's out. wishing us well, like the government partners, mm. the communities. They've even made up a song about it. Right. You know, they're pretty proud yeah, yeah, yeah. because they believe now that they're going to, I guess, that their learnings are going to help others, you know? Yeah, you can replicate the model in other places. Well, that's the whole idea, yeah. So, I mean, we spent a lot of years kind of defining what is the model that we use. We've all the jigsaw in place and what methods do we use? And now we're going to try and replicate them. First in Uganda, we've other counties looking for us as well. Because we don't want to start setting up offices all over the place. We don't have that sort of resource. We want to do it. Big impact, low cost, value yeah, for yeah. money, like, you know. Yeah, take your time and build it slowly. That's yeah. it, exactly, yeah. What about advice? Uh, any specific pieces of advice? I think you mentioned a couple along the way. Yeah, I think, I think. I mean, I said this already. The first one is definitely to be open, mm-hmm. to listen. I think it's, um, there's something about people, like trusting people. Um, no, you know, trusting people. I mean, there's great good in people. Um 
And you just have to sometimes, you know, give them the opportunity to let it out, you know. Mm. There's a definite, for me anyway, I would be firmly go with your gut. Mm. It's really wrong, let's be honest, you yeah. know. Oh, and sometimes it just takes that little bit of courage to put your foot out there and and find the words to explain your gut to others who don't necessarily go with their gut yeah, could be yeah. is a challenge. Yeah. And I think it's to continuously discover as well. I mean, there isn't a week goes by that you wouldn't be reading something on development worldwide or touching in with other organizations. You don't have all the answers. Together is better, you know. Mm. And and I mean, for me, like reaching out to bigger organizations, chatting to them, they're very open to, to support where they can. Mm. Um, and I think that that's the same even if you're starting out in a business. There isn't very many businesses who close their door to a startup just to give advice. I mean, you can even think from my days on SuperValue, like they do so much now with young suppliers, getting them to market, supporting them. I think you just have to be open and, and brave enough to ask. Like you don't know everything. Nobody sure. does, you know. It's interesting. You don't have to be an entrepreneur in a business or yeah. a non-profit, but it's the same principles uh, come out. That's what's great about this, the teams that people are sharing are consistent. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's and, and there's so much out there now being written. Like it's been open to newness as well, isn't it? Mm. Like if something that you've been working on and then suddenly somebody comes with a new way, like whether it's in maternal health or in business, whatever it is, to be open to saying, right, maybe I could try this. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of it, you know? Yeah, not to be afraid to try something new. And other guests have talked about confidence and lack of holding them back when they were younger. And that's a regret for them because they should have just took a chance and took a leap. But I don't, I don't know if that was a confidence. Confidence wasn't a hold back in, in any time for you, do you think? Not really. I suppose I wouldn't have ever been like confident oozing as in, but I was always quietly confident, yeah. I guess. You know what I mean? Chance, like, and yeah. willing to take a chance and, and the world was a wonderful place to be, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like it was of kind of. <laughs> Maybe just one or two more before we, we finish up. I always ask people about, you know, success and what what does success mean to them do you think of your yourself as successful if you think of somebody that's successful who would spring into mind or what might spring long kind of winded question there sorry yeah success well i mean the the organization certainly is a successful organization yeah. um you know i i said that to you earlier we're just looking at our 15 year impacts and there's some there's been some great achievements it's not like it's not down to one person you know it's down to many people working together mm. contributing where they can and um building a better uh, i suppose a better community together sure. i look at like i mean mandela would be definitely a, a hero of mine sure. um like i've read all his books his thinkings barack obama would be would stand out for me you know there's some of the women African leaders, um, Limi McGow and a few of them, even like, you know, in our own country, like Mary Robinson, Mary mm. McAleese, they, they definitely influenced. Like I, I would have received my president's award actually for Mary Robinson. And I've heard her speak a few times because I went on to become a president's award leader and okay. quite a speaker and quite like her book. I don't know if you've read it, but mm. uh, quite honest account of her life. And, okay. and she has had a major influence worldwide. So yeah, there's, there's different ways of, of, Looking at success, you know what oh, I mean? There's it's, so many, yeah, yeah. That's um, why it's an interesting question because I think 
everybody has a different angle. They mention uh, people, they mention certain things that, that stand out for them that what meant. Yeah. Successful. I mean, you could even look at the innovation in Africa now, um, with the mobile phones. Like in Kenya now, I, my bank account is my phone, basically. Right. So I can tra- pay all my bills. I can transfer money. And it's given the poorer people, particularly access to finance, which they never had. Yeah, and yeah. so you can see economies starting. Mm. I mean, that's phenomenal. It, it's, uh, you come home here and you're still trying to pay the bill with the phone and you're, right. oh yeah, well, I can't do it here, yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. we're not set up for it. Brilliant. Like they're that far ahead. Yeah. So yeah. some things are, they're very innovative you know just a couple of light ones to end on i'd like to ask people about you know their favorite movie or favorite documentary anything jump out there yeah i mean look i i suppose for me you know a lot of what i watch are african uh, type ones you know like the constant gardener i loved i loved mandela I loved, um, I dreamed of Africa was particularly inspiring. And of course, The Lion King, you know, who doesn't love The Lion King, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, my, we would watch movies a lot in Kenya, like I'd bring a hard drive because we don't have a TV. Right. Um, yeah, kind of general. I'm not into um, scary movies or um, Fast and Furious. It's usually stories, you know? Um, Like Out of Africa is a classic. Yeah, I don't have one particular one that okay. sticks out, really. What about a book or, say, Rob, read, read one book that will have an impact on me? Yes, there is. Uh, Half the Sky. Half? Half the Sky. Okay, I'm writing that down. I have so many books to read at this stage, but uh, Half the Sky. Yeah. And who wrote that? Um, who wrote it? Good question. Go, I'll, go. I'll find it out for you. It's um, written by two journalists who went around the world... Um, looking particularly at how women were treated in different okay. countries. It's also a documentary. Right. Excellent. Okay. And there's a second one now, I think A Path Appears or something. I have them anyway. Okay. And the other one, which was at the same time as Half the Sky, whose name... Oh, The Blue Sweater. The Blue Sweater. Okay. The Blue Sweater is written by the woman who set up the Ackerman Fund, Jacqueline... Um, What's her second name? No long name. Uh, it in. What's the name of the book? Um, but it's fantastic. And again, it show, it's a, an entrepreneurship type of book. But those two books, Half the Sky and Blue Sweater, were hugely influential for me anyway. Uh, I think it was the time I read them. Hmm. They both came out roughly around the same time. I've probably bought about 50 copies of each so far to give to people. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, they're pretty cool. good. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're both hard reads in places, as in right. it's tough emotional stuff, but it's very influential. And the Half the Sky is now a complete movement. Okay. Um, about basically women hold up half the sky, so equality is important. Course, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And the blue sweater, Ackerman Fund came out of it, which funds entrepreneurs all over the world, uh, particularly social entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, so the Ackerman Fund is massive. And I think it came out of that book as well. Next steps for brighter communities. I know you talked about Uganda. I know you're working on the five year plan. Where do you, the next six months, 12 months, what's your major focus? Um, we really want to, um, get, more funders and donor um, partners and mm-hmm. uh, we want people to kind of believe in the journey and and invest in us yeah. um as opposed to donate willy-nilly we want an investment so this is where the five-year plan is coming from um it'll set out clearly the vision for the next five years and um, it'll set out clearly what we're looking for mm-hmm. and we'd love people to just go on the journey with us you know yeah. and we believe that we're probably the best value for money ngo in ireland now okay. like if you give us 10 euros will probably go further than other organizations okay. our costs are quite low and 
as well as just the cost being low, we also have a huge volunteer base in Kenya. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our programs are completely volunteer run. Yeah. So like we, you know, have a very successful FGM program and um, all our facilitators are volunteers. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we forget that we associate a volunteer with an overseas person. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? So this is why we can get the impacts. Yeah. So our, our, our whole vision is to grow stronger and be sustainable. Mm. You know, in a sustainable way. So, like, yes, we're working in Uganda. We will expand in Kenya. Um, a lot of opportunities are coming up for us, but we will always keep sustainability in the back of our minds. Okay. You know what I mean? There's no point being the biggest organization for six months and then being no organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a balance between growth and sustainability, both of which are very closely connected. Sure. And to that, if a listener had deep pockets and wanted to get a, a donations involved or reach out to connect with, with you, how would they go about that, the best way to, to reach out? Well, we have a website, brightercommunities.org, and we have um, on there, you'll see all our contact details. Our office is in Middleton in County Cork, and uh, Rose Hennessy is our office manager. You can call here Monday to Thursday usually. Right. Um, she's here. Um, and we on our website, you'll see how to donate, um, how to support particular programs, projects like we do a lot of fundraising in ireland for example in august now we'll have a mountain challenge we do a golf classic every year and we'll have a fundraising ball in october um more than likely around the 7th of october so um if you're in the mood for dancing always (laughs) always brilliant so that that gives at least a a good way for people to check out the website and connect i think that's been really interesting for me to learn everything that's going on there i'm sure people will agree when they, they listen into it thanks so much for your time today Thank Maria you. I know you're heading back on Sunday Sunday yeah <laughs> yeah so hopefully enjoy the, the last few days in Ireland for, for a while uh, and thanks again thanks a million thank you Hey folks, so if you're at this point, it means you got to the end of one of my episodes. Thank you for listening. It's uh, it's great that you took the time to do so and I hope you got something out of it. So I'm just going to wrap it up with a shout out for feedback. As you know, the show is pretty new and it's just growing, evolving and your feedback is really important to me as I try and improve the show, make it 1% better. So please Get in touch with feedback, with questions that you may like me to put to guests in the future. Do you have a guest in mind that would be uh, really interesting to have on the show? Please let me know. Are there things that I could improve on? Are there things that are working? And are there things that are not working? Even more so important. I'd love to hear about it. I'm very open to feedback. So do please take a couple of minutes to get in touch. How can you do this? You can email me rob at robofthegreen.ie the comments section on the website go there that's www.robofthegreen.ie and there's a feedback page i'm on twitter the handle is at robofthegreen i'm on instagram robofthegreen facebook there's a page called robofthegreen and if you're in Cork and see me out and about please feel free to give me feedback verbally ideally positive or constructive if it's of a violent or negative nature either mental or physical please refrain from from that i don't think that would uh, would be good but um, all the other stuff I'm, I'm very open to and the show is on itunes and stitcher so it'd be great if you subscribe there so you'll constantly get updated episodes when i roll them out so look that's it thanks again for listening i hope you have a great day and implement some of the learnings in your everyday lives thanks so much bye